Well, good morning. Welcome to church. You can be seated. Glad that you're here. And looks like uh, people slept in today. <laughs> anyway, we're really glad you woke up and came to church today because it's going to be a really, really good day. You can check in on Facebook or the social media of your choice. That's always helpful. And if you're a first-time guest here today, we're glad you're here. And you can stop by the table as you leave and pick up your gift and sign your connection card if you are here today. We'd like to know that you're here and put that on your connection card. And uh, we will uh, not do anything to pester you. But if you have needs that you have and you'd like for us to pray about or anything like that, just put it down and let us know. We're going to take our offering in just a few moments. And uh, we appreciate your faithful giving. You know the the drill for giving, and so we want you to give and uh, express yourself in your worship through giving of your tithes and offerings, and God will honor that. Blue Star Moms, you see the little blue boxes out there? That's we're collecting uh, items for Blue Star Moms who will send packages, care packages, uh, this Christmas to our military that are stationed abroad, and so we need your help with that. If you could gather up that stuff and begin to bring it in. That would be awesome. Today, following the service at 12 or the 11 o'clock service, uh, we have classes that uh, will help you in your spiritual growth, and you can see more about that in the program. And then uh, upcoming Go Saturday. Now, I don't know the date on that. There we go, October 26th. Uh, it's a time for us to go into our community. And uh, Kelly, Pastor Kelly, has some projects set up for us uh, to serve our community. So sign up at the table as you leave today. And uh, we'll be taking our offering soon, so we appreciate your faithfulness and being here today. God bless you.
so awesome the fact is that we our hope is a living hope that our hope we put in Jesus Christ aren't you glad this morning that we have a living hope something that will never leave us nor someone who will never leave us nor forsake us that will always be there for for us and uh, this morning that does my heart really good today to know that my hope is not buried in some grave somewhere or it's not in my bank account or in any other person my hope is in Jesus Christ, and I trust that yours is as well. Father, thank you for the living hope, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that the grave could not hold him. 
And Father, we thank you that same power that raised him from the dead lives in me and lives in us. And Father, this morning we're thankful for the living hope of Jesus Christ. We thank you today, Lord, that he is seated at the right hand, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding on our behalf. So Father, we give you all the honor and all the glory, and we do praise you today. And Father, we thank you for this gathering. We thank you for those who have gathered online to worship and our children, our students, in our cafe, Lord. And I, I just thank you, Father, today for Lynn Sweet. And Father, we thank you for the impact that he's had on my life and lives around this world, Father, because of the message of the gospel that he shares so uh, clearly and, Father, with great context. And we thank you for him and his family. Bless them today, Lord. Meet every concern that he has today. Give him freedom as he speaks today, Father, and we thank you today. Be with those who may be a bit discouraged today. May they find hope in the living hope today, knowing, Father, that you care about us. So we love you today, Jesus, and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks for being here today. have a great privilege today to have uh, Lynn Sweet with us. Uh, Lynn is a good friend of ours, and he has been to Salem Fields before. Anybody ever been here? Were you here when Lynn's been here before? Some of you have. And so you know what treat we're in for today, and we're thankful for Lynn. Lynn is an author. He is a uh, writer, speaker. He, uh, you ought to follow him on Facebook. He's got a blog. Very, very, um, very, very insightful, a very um, intelligent man that I've grown to love and appreciate. And he's not only all that, uh, but he's also a husband and a father, and uh, we just appreciate him. So he's come all the way from uh, Orcas Island, Washington. I guess that's East Sound, Washington. Will you make him feel really, really welcome? Okay, today, thank you, man, for being here. Good morning, church. I've heard the lion roar this morning already. Have you? The grave has no what? Claim, no hold. Every chain is broken in the power of the resurrection. What a, what a word this morning. We are reading the Bible this weekend as story, a little different than we are accustomed to reading it when we read to focus on the words. Instead, I wanted this weekend just see if we can't focus on the story. So this morning, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark, the second chapter. And this is one of the early stories of Jesus in his ministry. Now, Mark is the earliest gospel written. So this is the earliest wisdom we have from the gospel writers about Jesus's ministry. So as we read this, you've got to put it in in context, remember last night we talked about making it a motion picture in your mind. So you got to see this almost cinematically. So you got to um, imagine in your mind's eye what is happening. So a few days later, when Jesus again entered, what's the city? Uh, can you see in your see Capernaum? Okay, where's Capernaum? Well, it's a little fishing village. Not so little. It's about fifteen hundred people. Right on the shores of what sea? Galilee. Sea of Galilee. Yeah. And it's a very important um, 
city because it's kind of a very cosmopolitan city. You've got a lot of people coming in there. We know there was a very important Jewish synagogue there. In fact, one was built on top of, the, uh, so we have two, right, on top of one another that archaeologists have, have looked at. But this is a uh, kind of a resort village. I don't know where you all like to vacation to. I'm from West Virginia, so I like the mountains. But uh, my wife's from Oregon, so she likes the and uh, some people like the desert, Arizona. Um, that's not me. But at any rate, um, so this is the story of Capernaum. It's an incident that happens in Capernaum. And then it says the people heard that he had come, what? I'll just stop there for a minute. Jesus had a home. I was just, what, you go, wait a minute. I didn't think he, I thought he was homeless. You know, didn't he say foxes have holes and birds have nests and the son of man has nowhere to lay his head? How can, some actual, the actual, the literal translation, he came to his house. So how can Jesus have a house? Well, first of all, this is very early in Jesus' ministry. Okay, he's 30. Okay, 30 in the first century is young or old? Old. At, in the first century, a male at birth had a life expectancy of 26. Okay. Today, a male at birth has a life expectancy of about 76. So there's a whole, so you've got to put it in historical context here. So 30 in the first century, by the way, you were a total adult responsible for your economic uh, well-being at age 12, okay, if you're a male. So you got to start making a living at age, what's the age today? 36. 36, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, there's a saying that 26 is a new 18. You know, I don't know if that's true or not. I got a 28-year-old in my household, and that's about right. But anyway, so we got to, see, things are, we got to, you can't read the present into the past. The past is a foreign country. And so this is, this is Jesus is early in his ministry, but it's late. In his, I mean, 30, I would argue, is our equivalent of 60. Okay? By the way, um, creativity increases to 83. Unless you've got chronic issues, your creativity increases to, what did I say? Yeah. So when you get to 60, you got another quarter century. When Jesus got 60, he said, time to save the world. When we get 60, we go, where do I park my rocking chair? Something is wrong here. Okay. The best years of your life are 60 to 90 when you can make the greatest difference for God. So we, we, we're not maybe thinking biblically here. So Jesus, so this is early in his ministry, but it's, it's so he, where's he been for 30 years? He hasn't been homeless for 30 years. Okay. He's got a home. He's got a house. And by the way, where does he have his house? So he must like the, the water. Yeah, he's got a house 
on the water in this little fishing village, this resort community called Capernaum. Now, we don't know how long he had the house. I don't think he had it very long, by the way. But even if he had it for a long time, people ask me, where do I live? And uh, I say, well, I, I can tell you where I wish I lived, okay, because I have six million frequent flyer miles. I have two million miles on Delta, two million miles on United, two million miles on American, and almost a million on Alaska. So I'm, I'm coming up to seven. Where do I live? Yeah, I live in hotels. So even if Jesus had a home, so I tell my wife, maybe I really wish I lived here. <laughs> I love this house. Um, so I'm, I'm a missionary, and so I'm on the road, and so I'm constantly... So even if Jesus had a house, he could still say, as I've said many times at night, foxes have holes, birds have nests. I wish I had a place to lay my head night after night. We don't know how long he had this house, but Jesus has a house. This is important to the story. Okay? We got to get the story right or we don't understand the Bible. We don't understand the gospel. So he, now we know another reason why he probably didn't come home all that much and probably got rid of the house. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word of them. So when he is home, what? Yeah, he's working. Yeah, exactly. Nobody, he, he, has, he has, everybody's there. Everybody's crowding. Jesus is here. So he has no privacy. He has no, no escape time. He's there, and everybody's there too. So even when he is home, he's not home. He comes to Capernaum to his house. The place is mobbed with people, and okay, let's let's preach. Now, notice what it says here next. Okay, read it with me. Some men came. What? Bringing to him a carried by. Okay, let's just stop right there. Some men came, bringing to him a what? Carried by. Okay. So this is, the he, this is the famous story of the healing of the paralytic. We don't know whether he's paralyzed waist down, neck down. But we do know that some people helped him to get to Jesus. How many of them helped him? Read it carefully. Okay. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by of. So how many were there? We don't know, but there's more than. See what I mean? You got to read. You, you got to fondle the details. The details are huge. So there's more than four. It, the cot has four corners, so you got four people carrying it. But there's more than four. You with me? See the deep. These are these. Are. Now, sometimes in a story, what's not there is as important as what is. Right? And here is what's huge. What's not there is the key to understanding the story. Because what's missing in the story. In the first century, whose responsibility is it to take care of disabled kids? You've got a child that has a disability or disease or whatever. Whose responsibility is to take care of it? Parent. 
In fact, it's a, it's a matter of dishonor and shame if you abandon your child. And so what's missing in the story? Some men came. It doesn't say what? Family came. This some men is not even friends. It's not friends. The, word, the Greek word here is not friends, and it's not family. It's just some men came. And we'll get to that in a second. Who are these men? But what's missing in this story is family, which means this guy has been what? Abandoned by his family. He's been dumped. Probably the father dumped him in, in Capernaum or it could have been another city around there. And then it was from a faraway place and just abandoned him by the side because he was too much to, to handle, to take care of. So here is somebody that has been abandoned by his family, totally cut off from his family, dumped by his family, and especially his Who's the head of the family? The father. Now, who are these men? We don't know who these men are. We know they're not family. We know they're not not friends because these are not the words used here in the Greek. So who are they? Well, we don't really know, but we are. We do have some evidence. Do you remember the the Qumran community where they discovered all of these manuscripts and and, um, the Essenes were at this Qumran community. It was a group that John the Baptist was probably a part of early before he became a a Jesus follower. The Essenes, we now know, for we're not sure how many years they did this, but they would, these these were people who went apart so that they could separate themselves from the world, but they didn't do it all the time. They spent some time, maybe a couple years, going into communities and taking care of the abandoned and the disabled. And so they kind of functioned as the Salvation Army in the first century. You're like Mormons today. If you're a Mormon child, you want to join the Mormon community, you have to spend what? Two years as a Mormon missionary. If you wanted to be in a scene, you had to spend a certain amount of time, we're not sure how long it was, being a missionary to these places and taking care of the poor, the homeless, the disabled, the, the elderly that, that were there alone and orphans. So we're pr- probably it was a, a group of Essenes, and that's why they would have heard of Jesus. Um, and so we don't know how many of them. We know there's more than four. So let's keep going. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they did what? They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So let's just stop here for a minute. So did you realize? You've heard the story of them ripping the roof off. But whose roof is it? It's Jesus' roof. This is a story about people ripping Jesus' own roof off to get somebody in need to Jesus. It's a whole different story now. It's not just some anonymous roof. It's Jesus' roof. Can you imagine as he's preaching and teaching and he's going on and suddenly what? And he just keeps going. He doesn't stop. He just 
Okay, now, describe for me the roof. What kind of roof is it? Is it a nice pitched roof? No, that's not the roofs of the first century. They were made, they were flat roofs made of, yeah, it was straw, thatch, thatch kind of flat, sticks, um, dirt, and they made it strong enough, though, that, that you could get up and kind of sleep on the roof at night if it was a good night or, or snack up there. And, and um, But it was a kind of a dirt, sod, thatch, stick roof. You know that old expression, raining cats and dogs? Okay, that, that was when it rains with <laughs> these old roofs. Who, who lives up there eventually? called snakes, rodents, bugs. So when it rained, what would happen to all those creatures? They would come down. That's so that when they talk about raining cats and dogs, they really meant raining snakes and rodents and bugs because and, that's what would come down when it rained. So, okay. So here we have Jesus preaching and his own roof is being ripped. Off. Now, we don't know how big the house was. If the house, houses were big, they would have an indoor little opening where there was a ladder and they would have an outdoor stairs. If it's a very small house, they would just have outdoor stairs up to the roof. So we don't know they, that they were making a small hole bigger or whether they were just like firemen with pickaxes, you know, just ripping a hole right in the roof. But you got to picture this, what, what is happening. So Jesus is preaching. His roof is what? Raining cats and dogs or whatever is coming down, the sticks and, and dirt and all that. Let's keep going. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, let's get this right. So Jesus healed him because he was paralyzed and in need of healing. Is that what it says? When Jesus saw what? Why did Jesus heal the paralytic? Because the faith of these people, these men, who would stop at nothing, even roof, rip Jesus' roof right off to get somebody in need to Jesus. When he saw their, he didn't scold them for ripping his roof off. I mean, what is Jesus anyways? He's, he's an artisan. He's a con construction worker. He's a contractor. He can fix his own roof. Okay. That's not, he honors their faith. And says, what? What does it say up there? Son, what? Now, why are you all not crying right now? Why are you all not crying? See, we're still not in the story. There's only one time in Jesus' whole ministry where he looked at anybody who was alive and called him son. One time. Only one time he looked at any woman and said daughter. The hemorrhaging woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Remember that story? One time woman, one time son. The only time Jesus ever calls anyone 
son is right here. Right here. Can you imagine what it was like for this paralyzed man who had been abandoned by his and expected nobody ever, ever again to ever call him because he's without a father and his father has dumped him and abandoned him and rejected him. And before Jesus, see, before he needs physical healing, he needs relational healing. He needs emotional healing. And so the first words out of Jesus' mouth, can you imagine what it was like to have Jesus look at you and say, this guy, more than anything else, needed to know there was a father out there who loved him. That he had a father. And so to hear those words, what? Son. Unbelievable. But then it's even stranger, the next words, what? He doesn't say you're healed. He says, what? What's going on? Your sins are forgiven. So first of all, he relationally heals them. You do have a father who loves you like a father. Now, why would Jesus say this? Well, in the first century, they believed that all disease and, and affliction and suffering and pain and all that stuff, especially inherited diseases, were, were caused by what? The sins of your ancestors, probably your father, but it could be his uncle or it could be your uncle or your, any extended relative. They, you are being punished for their sins. So it was doubly hurtful for him because he had a father who would abandon him. He's still being punished for his sins in his mind. So he's got all this guilt and shame that he's carrying on behalf of this family, a family that's even rejected him. And so before he... Need, he needs physical healing. He first needs relational healing. Now he needs emotional healing to free him of all that weight of, and that burden of guilt and shame. And so Jesus, now, does Jesus believe that suffering and disease are a result of the sins of your ancestors? No. Heck, he even later rebukes it and says it's not true. Okay. So now we're in really strange territory because Jesus is saying something that he doesn't even think. So how would he do that? Sisters and brothers, I want you to hear something this morning. There's a time to argue theology and there's a time not to argue theology. Okay. Right now, he's got in front of him a guy who's been paralyzed from birth and... Jesus doesn't do what we often do. Well, I'm going to deal with your needs, but first I got to get you the right theology. So let me introduce you to the right theology here, and then I'll deal with your problems. But first, let's have this theology lesson. This is, this is what the church does all the time. No, here's somebody who right now has been taught, I'm sick because of sin that somebody of my ancestors did. And 
he needs to be freed of that guilt and shame. So Jesus even doesn't argue theology, even goes with bad theology because there's something that's more important now than theology, and that's his healing. Son, your sins are forgiven. And now he's physically healed. So we have relational healing first, emotional healing, physical healing. Sometimes in our own lives, the physical healing is the least important. We need the relational healing and the emotional healing first. Now, what happens? Some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? In other words, Jesus is saying some things that he even would argue with later, but it's getting him into trouble now more. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that it, this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. Next, next, next up. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, so I say to the man, I tell you. Now he's talking to the paralyzed man. What does he say to the man? Get up. What? Take up your mat. And what? Why aren't you crying now? Did you understand what Jesus just told him to do? He didn't say, get up, take up your mat, and go show everybody what I've done. He says, get up, take up your mat, and go what? To the very people that abandoned you, to the very people that rejected you, to those very people, you go to your home. And you go to your father. And you show him what the Lord has done. For you, and you forgive him with the same forgiveness that I have forgiven. Are you kidding? Is this an incredible story? And he got up, took his mat, oh, took his mat. We're talking, you always need a prop, remember? Okay. He's got a new. He took up, no testimony works without a, a prop. He took, he got up, took his mat. And walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. This is one of the most amazing stories in the whole Bible. And we've missed a lot of that. Because we're not reading it as a story. We're not turning it into a motion picture in our mind. And we're not realizing what it's saying to us today. If I were to ask you right now this morning, I'm not going to ask you to do this, but if I were to say, describe for me intercessory prayer. Define intercessory prayer. And if you start talking about, well, standing in the gaps, interceding for someone, um, that's all true but you're not speaking in the language of this culture that we're in. 
a language where commercials now often have no words. They just have a story and a soundtrack. This is a culture that doesn't hear our words, but they need to hear our what? Stories. So the next time somebody asks you, what is intercessory prayer? I don't understand what intercessory prayer is. Here's what you answer them. There was a guy who was paralyzed. And some people in his life said, we're going to stop at nothing till we get you to Jesus. We'll even rip Jesus' own roof right off his house. And because they would stop, they would even raise Jesus' roof. He honored their... See, that's intercessory prayer. It's not a definition. It's a story. The best definitions today are stories. And in your life and mine, we have a call from some people in our lives for intercessory prayer. Are you prepared to so stop at nothing to get somebody before Jesus? that you would keep praying and raise Jesus' roof in heaven right on. Let's pray. Lord, this is an incredible story. It's so deep. It's so rich. It's so, it's so profound and fertile. Lord, help us to sit at its feet this week and just take it in. Um, take in your patience and humor and seeing your roof come right down and you just keep going and, and honor those who, who did it, who destroyed your roof. Help us to understand the courage and the daring of those who would stop at nothing because they believe so much in Jesus and trusted in him, his healing powers. Thank you. Help us to understand that some people in our lives, before even physical healing, they need relational healing and they need emotional healing. And help us to be healers for them of relationships and, and emotions. And Lord, most of all, call us back to prayer. Help us to understand the power of prayer and how you honor the prayer of a righteous one. We pray it all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. What an incredible story. Yeah. Wow, I've learned a, I've learned a ton this weekend being in the uh, messages, but also spending time with Lynn. It's been an incredible, rich experience. And I hope you've experienced that this morning. You know, I was thinking about I'm not interceding for anyone. To be honest with you, it's been a long time uh, since I've been that concerned for someone that I'd do whatever it takes to see that they got to the Lord and found what they really needed. And uh, the Lord showed me somebody this morning when Lynn was praying, somebody that's in my life, that I need to do whatever it takes to get that guy to Jesus. And I'm challenging you today. Is there someone in your life that we need, that you need to be interceding for, that you know has emotional and physical and mostly and most of all spiritual need to know Jesus. And I want to challenge you this morning, if you're online or if you're here uh, today, to allow the Lord to show you that person. I've got his picture right in my mind this morning, and he needs Jesus. 
in many, many ways. And I dare say that there's probably somebody, if you would ask the Lord to put that person in your mind, that really needs to get before Jesus, that we'd do anything to make that happen. So that's the challenge today. Thank you, Lynn, for challenging me. And uh, we're going to take a love offering for Lynn. And, uh, you know, he's one of the most sought-after speakers in America, in the church world. And I just feel so honored that he came here this weekend. And uh, he came here, and, you know, he came here because we're friends. And uh, I, I just want us to treat him uh, like a brother. Okay, so could you give an offering today to help us? You can give a cash check, or you can go out to kiosk give, or you can give online. However you give, we're going to give whatever we've already agreed to give. So, but we could use your help. So, if the Lord so lays it on your heart to do that, I would appreciate it. The church would appreciate it. Father, thank you for this time that we've had. It's been rich, Lord. It's been filled with uh, truth, and God, thank you for showing me, Lord, where I need to step up. And so, Jesus, we thank you. I pray that you'd help us all to step up, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship together. Thank you. Darkness tries to over my Sorrow comes to see the joy I Brokenness and pain is all I know. I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. Cause my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance. Shame no longer has a place to 